Welcome to the Alien Beer Podcast. My name is Chrissy Garrison. I'm an independent science fiction and fantasy author, and I will be reading my stories to you. I began the Multiverse Blues as a serial, with only a vague notion of where it would end up. I can own up to not being much of a planner when it comes to writing novellas and novels. I come up with a concept, some characters, a goal, and just start writing. After a while, patterns emerge, and I'll come up with plot points that definitely need to happen before the end of the story. Often I'll arrange those in order and end up with a more organized plan, and that plan becomes more and more like an outline the closer I get to the end of the story. This was my method with the Multiverse Blues as well, but I played it a lot looser than usual until the very end. Writing this story has been exciting for me because I often didn't know how things would turn out until I wrote them. And sometimes I left myself really tough situations to work out for next time. But one advantage of taking a year to write this story, one chapter every couple of weeks, is that I had a lot of time to think about what came next. This is the second to last chapter of the Multiverse Blues. The heat is on, and Jules and their friends are going to have to think fast and use their heads and hearts to figure it all out. In the penultimate chapter of the Multiverse Blues, Dion and Lee help Jules rescue Tristellians enslaved by the Arch Authority using a method unique to Hope's tour. The Multiverse Blues, Chapter 25, Come On in My Kitchen Maybe it just won't work for me, I said, brushing a stray bundle of wires out of my face. The helmet on my head weighed more than I'd expected, and the probes in its lining jabbed into my scalp. No, no, it'll work. You just have to get tuned in, said Aired Dion, twirling dials and nudging slider switches on the console next to me. She frowned at me and tucked a lock of hair behind her ear. Try to forget where you are. Get into a meditative state. Easier said than done, I said, suddenly finding distracting little itches all over my body. Hope sang, Perhaps I can help? Then she began to hum a tune that sounded familiar, but alien at the same time. Ah, that'll do the trick, said Harlan. I keep telling you, a recording of this will sell like hotcakes. Shh, hissed Dribbler. Let them relax. Hope shifted from humming to singing softly in her own language. Her voice always took on such ethereal beauty in that tongue. I was carried away to the time I had first heard her sing that way. I realized that it was this very song which Harlan had explained was a Tristellian lullaby. My eyes closed, almost of their own volition. My thoughts drifted and wandered. At first they dwelled on my memories of hope, such as her singing and the feeling of being safe within her embrace. And then they wandered, images of Coral in captivity, and of him plunging through the Delta Arch gate in front of me, of holding baby Lucy on Jimmy's ship. The cabin of the verse ship receded from my senses, and though I could hear people speak, it seemed more like another stream of memories than something going on right now. I heard my name called by several of my friends, and a warmth spread out through my body, from my heart to my fingers and toes. A cool touch upon my hand brought one voice into focus. Hope sang softly in my ear, Jules, where are you now? Answering her took some sleepy struggle on my part. Like trying to wake from a particularly deep nap, I murmured, I'm on a boat. Very good, Jules. Dion tells me she wants you to think of the spaces between the worlds. Think of a place where you can see all the arches at once. My mind drifted some more 
and I watched in passive peace as the colors of the between space washed over the windshield of La Esperanza with my memory of Zamboni at the wheel. And then my mind flung me into space, tumbling head over foot, clinging to Dribbler as colorful dots whirled all around us. I think this is the place. I can feel it. Something changed. The whirling halted, and I had a different sensation of motion, accompanied by the warbling sound of the verse ship's engines. I murmured, Hope, what is the name of your verse ship? Hope's warm affection flowed into me through the touch of her hand. The ship had another name, but those of us who left in it called her a word in our language that meant exodus. You could not pronounce it. That makes sense. Hope, Exodus is moving, isn't she? Yes, love. Dion is moving her and us through space-time to match the thoughts in your head. Someone removed the helmet from my head, and I woke from my reverie as though icy water had been dumped on my head. I let out a yelp and leapt from the chair. Oh, sorry, said Dion, placing the helmet upon a stand. I should have given you more warning, but it's vital that we do not drift while I lock in our coordinates. I had no polite reply to that. Hope squeezed my hand in hers to steady me. Now, said Dion, let's have that sweater. Despite being surrounded by friends, I had a sudden attack of shyness. Well, I, that is, I'm still kind of using it. Dion laughed and touched my shoulder with her fingertips. It's okay. You don't need to take it off. Just pull one of your arms out so I can put the sleeve into the scanner. I don't want your Beta Earth vibes messing up the reading. The scanner turned out to be a clamshell the size and shape of an adult hand. As she shut the small enclosure on my sleeve, Dion explained, I rigged this up to read quantum signatures off of humans, but I've used it to get readings off of inanimate matter plenty of times. Got it, said Lee. That is close to the other Earths. Looks like the name you came up with might just stick, Jules. Dion released my sleeve and turned to another console. Got the coordinates. Okay, this is where things get weird. This ship is about to become a portal between the spot Jules found and... What did you call it? Oh, Theta Earth. Try not to think about it too hard. It hurts my brain, and I'm used to this sort of thing. It's like Doctor Who, isn't it? I said. What? said Dion. Never mind, I don't think they have that show on Aired. They do on Alpha, said Lee, who winked at me. And you're not wrong, except this ship doesn't travel through time, just relative dimensions in space, and it isn't bigger on the inside. Dribbler and Harlan looked at each other and shrugged. I laughed. I guess pop culture references are lost between dimensions. I think I failed at Dion's advice. Just then I would have sworn I could feel myself being stretched between one place and another, as taut as a guitar string. The whole world seemed to vibrate. Or was it just me? There was also a sensation like being in an elevator. Dion brought up a screen, which showed a rather familiar bit of real estate. That's Lakeshore Drive, Grant Park even. Why do we keep ending up in Chicago? I asked. At least I've got one friend there. Hope sang, That is an excellent place for our concert. Concert, said Harlan, Dribbler, and me all at the same time. Hope nodded and handed little Lucy to a surprised Lee. We will need a great deal of energy to call out to my people across the void. 
I believe I can draw that from a crowd. Jules, are, are you up to being a conduit? I shook my head. I have no idea. I've never been one before. What's involved? Take my hand, and we shall link our minds once more. Then I shall hold an impromptu concert and channel the energy of the crowd through you to broadcast from the ship. Do you trust me, Jules? I nodded. Always hope. I'll do my best. She smiled. I believe in you. I believe in us, Jules. To our new friends, she said. Mr. Green, Ms. Sutton, do you think you can work out how to pull the others through once we have a connection with them? Lee and Dion looked at each other, shrugged, then turned to nod in unison at Hope. Lee said, I think we can handle that. Dion set us down in Grant Park, and people backed away from us as we descended, mouths agape. What does the ship look like from the outside, I said. You shall soon see, said Hope, offering me her hand. I took it, and the world doubled around me. Was I looking in Hope's eyes, or was I Hope looking into mine? I'll admit, it was a queasy business once she started moving away and descended through the round hatch. Harlan protested, We don't have no gear, no speakers, no amps, no lights. I've got you covered, said Lee. Lights are easy. I'll work out something to amplify her. Dribbler frowned. I don't have drums. And Babs? I hugged him close. Hope says we'll see her again, Dribs. He kissed my cheek and said, if she said so, it must be true. Guess I'll look for a barrel or something to bang. I smiled up at him. The show must go on, right? He grinned, despite himself, and ruffled my hair. Yeah, because Hope says so. Dribbler descended, and I watched him from both the top and the bottom of the ladder as Hope stood below. Through her eyes, I saw an incredible sight, and I just had to laugh out loud. What is it? asked Dion. I wiped tears from the corner of my eyes. I can't believe I have to sit out the show where Hope's tour arrived in a UFO. Lee grinned at me. It's a sweet ride, he agreed. Maybe so, but it also makes a hell of a set piece. Below, Dribbler addressed the gathering crowd. People of Chicago, this is Hope. She's on tour, traveling from world to world, sharing music and her namesake with everyone she meets. Please put your hands together for Hope, the Tristellian. With that, he clapped his own hands over his head in a slow beat. Just a few of the Theta Earth Chicagoans joined him, and I worried he'd lost the crowd before they'd even begun. Except then, Hope began to sing. She trilled her voice from the deepest depths of the ocean, warbling up through several octaves to soar up into the sunny skies above Lake Michigan. The crowd stood entranced as she took them on auditory adventures in her native tongue, even whistling and clicking in time to her song as though there might be more than one of her standing in front of the fountain. More people began to clap in time with Dribbler. It spread like a wave outward, and soon hundreds of people clapped in time with the song Hope gave them, and still more filtered in from every direction, growing the crowd's numbers steadily. All the while, through our link, I had the electrifying sensation of being Hope. Her gauzy dress clung to her in the chill November air by the lake. Her body thrilled with excitement as the crowd reacted to her song. Her lungs took in air and forged it into almost tangible sound waves. Her echolocation sense registered every one of the people gathered around her to listen. She and I could feel them all. 
And then Hope slid from the song in her native language to humming a segue to another song. Before she sang a single word, I knew what it would be, even without the link. Because Hope couldn't pass up a chance to sing the blues to Chicago, she sang an old song, one from the Delta region, not the Delta dimension, one that had traveled the rails north from the end of the Mississippi, but not quite to the city of Broad Shoulders. Hope almost whispered as she sang the opening lines of Robert Johnson's Come On In My Kitchen, seeming to invite every one of the now thousands of spectators to join her at her kitchen table for a drink. Dribbler clapped and did something like beatboxing to provide rhythm backing for Hope, and the crowd continued to clap a slow beat along as well. Maybe it was the familiarity of the song, maybe it was the growing size of the crowd, or maybe it was their excitement crossed a threshold. But at that moment, a sort of electrical current began to crackle upon Hope's skin, and mine as well. To be fair, it had gotten difficult to tell where Hope ended and I began. The part of me that remained inside of the ship said to Dion, I can feel it now. We're gathering power. What do I do with it? Dion fussed with some controls and beckoned me for to sit so that she could put the uncomfortable helmet full of probes back on my head once more. Here, you should be able to use this to reach out, or at least you should shine like a beacon, if nothing else. If I'd been confused about being in two places at once before, now I was triply confused, as the between space I'd visualized earlier superimposed itself over the feeling of being hope singing, the energy crackling upon our both our bodies and the interior of the ship. It was very much like dissociating, since I had to struggle to hang on to my sense of self like a light preserver in choppy waters. And then the other songs began. At first, I thought I was hearing the crowd sing along with hope, but then I felt the tug on my awareness of the between space. One of those little dots that weren't stars sang to me, or rather, Something on the other side of one of the dots sang out to me in despair. It's working. Someone responded, I murmured, from the part of me that sat in the ship with Dion and Lee. Lucy gurgled, whistled, and clicked, and then she joined in the song as well, humming along since she couldn't form the words. A shock of recognition from the other side ran through me, adding to the electricity crawling all over my skin. In my mind's eye, I reached out a hand toward the dot, like the portal that led Dribbler and me to Aird, this dot expanded in size as it grew close. An eye peered out at me, and then the view widened to show me a Tristellian face. A thought rode along with the distant song. My child, my baby. A mitten-like Tristellian hand grabbed onto mine, and I said, I have someone. Help me pull them through. Just a moment, said Dion, working on her console. Just another adjustment, and there we go. I pulled on the hand and found a damp, wriggling Delphine person in my lap and arms. Dion helped the newly liberated Tristellian up. It was then that Lucy spoke her first word. Mama! Mama, Mama, Mama! Even as the newcomer scooped up her baby in her arms, I felt another tug, and another, and more. I pulled one after another of them through, and the interior of the UFO became quite close, with the overwhelming scent of poorly cared-for Tristellians making my eyes water. Hope's wordless excitement at our success flowed through me and outward in the form of her music, drawing cheers of delight from the enthusiastic crowd. 
Harlan's voice came to me through Hope's ears. Uh-oh, that can't be good. With a crack of thunder, Hope turned her head and watched as a vertical line of sudden but persistent lightning widened to form a horizontal oval, its surface shimmering like a trembling sideways pool of mercury. Someone emerged from the arch-sized portal. She wore a navy blue full-length dress and carried a rifle. She wore my face under that United States of Dixie uniform cap. And she wasn't alone. A half-dozen Dixie soldiers, also armed with long guns, marched in formation out of the portal behind her. And another rank followed. And another. And another. They spread out in a long line and leveled their rifle barrels at Hope. The crowd screamed like a single, terrified organism as hundreds, thousands of them panicked and ran from the soldiers. Thank you for listening to the Alien Beer Podcast. If you like my stories, please visit my website, sillyhatbooks.com. I publish as E. Chris Garrison, and my books may be found in paperback, ebook, and audiobook format on Amazon.com and other places. The theme music for Alien Beer Podcast is Phantom from Space by Kevin McLeod. I very much enjoy feedback on this podcast and on my stories, so please leave comments on my website, visit me at at ecgarrison on Twitter, echrisgarrison on Facebook, or drop me an email at ecg at sillyhatbooks.com. What evil lurks in the heart of Don Mondo? Only Chucky the Buddha, the enforcer of the Mondo Mafia, knows. Join them each week on the Mondo Method Podcast, as Chuck tries to get Don Mondo to reveal what is best in life, and where he hid the bodies. Oh, they also talk about writing, and being professional authors. The Mondo Method Podcast, with Armand Rosamilia, and Chuck Buddha. Weekly, wherever you find your podcasts. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.